Hey everyone, what's up and welcome to Front Run Crypto, where we predict the future of money and technology. I'm your host, John Cook. Today is Sunday, December 18th, 2022. We have a very long but very special podcast that we're going to cover today. It's the unread testimony by Sam Bankman fried that he was supposed to read at his U.S. congressional hearing on 12-13 in front of the Financial Services Committee. So recall that... There was a big blowout with FTX. We all know the story by now. And he went on a road tour doing interviews for the New York Times, as well as a bunch of bloggers and folks in the Twitter crypto space. And all of that culminated with uh, him being asked very nicely by a member of the Financial Services Committee to pretty please, with sugar on top, come and interview with the... U.S. Congressional Financial Services Committee on 12-13. This wasn't a subpoena. This was a strongly worded request. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of chaos behind that, but we'll sidebar that for now. He was scheduled to appear and testify with respect to his knowledge on FTX, commingling depositor funds, Alameda Research, so on and so forth. But he was arrested by the Bahamas police uh, the day before his virtual appearance in front of the U.S. Financial Services Committee. It turns out that his arrest was a byproduct of the Department of Justice in the state of New York issuing a subpoena for his arrest warrant with an ultimate goal of uh, his extradition back to the United States, right? While that happened, he was also... um, This is wild because these are three different government agencies operating independently of one another. Civil charges were pressed, were dropped against him by the SEC and CFTC for insider trading, coupling depositor funds, wire fraud, so on and so forth. I have the links to the actual charges alleged against him in the show notes. But what's important for this podcast is what was he going to say, right? So The good news is that Forbes was able to obtain a 17-page document that outlines what Sam Bankman-Fried was going to say when he testified in front of Congress. I read the whole thing, and we're going to read it again for this podcast. It's long, but there's a lot of nuggets of wisdom that we can extrapolate from it with respect to perhaps the bankruptcy team that was authorized by him to manage the FTX bankruptcy proceedings aren't acting in what he perceives to be uh, his best interest, Uh, his misunderstanding of the leveraged and margin positions within FTX at Alameda. Let me pause here and say that he is for sure super guilty of commingling of depositor funds or at a minimum gross negligence with respect to the management of depositor funds. But the reason we're going to spend the next 60 to 70 minutes reading this is we want to understand SBF's position because he is being framed as the fall guy for the entire crypto ecosystem collapse of 2022. He is for sure one key player, but he is only a player, right? There's also Gemini. There's also Genesis. That's also Digital Currency Group, right? There's a lot of smaller boutique hedge funds that played a role in these leveraged positions, this synthetic 
demand that ultimately led to the collapse of uh, the crypto markets that we're experiencing now. So my hope is by taking the time to read this, we'll be able to extrapolate that, hey, SBF is a whale, but there are many whales that we should be holding accountable in the court of law in the next 12 to 24 months. My my wish, if I could knock on wood, predict the future, and guess what's going to happen, is that this is the start of a much broader set of actors being held accountable, but we're not sure yet. So far, SBF is the first domino to fall. So without further ado, here is the unread and leaked testimony that SBF was supposed to present in front of Congress prior to his arrest. We're going to read it out loud together and provide commentary along the way. Here we go. I would like to start by formally stating under oath I fucked up. I know that it doesn't mean much to say that I'm sorry. And so I'm dedicating as much of myself as I can to do right by customers. When all is said and done, I'll judge myself primarily by one metric, whether I have eventually been able to make customers whole. If I fail our customers in this regard, I have failed myself. Last year, my net worth was valued at $20 billion. Today, I would be wrong to say that I have nothing. I have a loving family and food on my plate, and that's more than life has given billions of people. But last I saw, I believe my bank account had $100,000 in it. I don't know for sure, because I've been denied access to many of my own personal accounts, data, documents, and accounts. As of today, I and many other members of FTX's international former management team are missing access to key data, data that could help inform our customers, inform the Chapter 11 team's decision, and inform foreign regulators looking after XTX International. Nearly all of this data is held by the Chapter 11 team. In fact, many of us are still missing access to our own personal data, which is being held hostage by the Chapter 11 team's leadership. When we asked to have when we asked for our access to our own personal data and passwords, an example of response reads, you should take steps, as we've suggested to others in the same position, to reset 2FA passwords for any relevant personal accounts. As, much, as such, much of my testimony is less confident and detailed than I would want it to be, and I am, apologize if I'm unable to confidently answer completely reasonable questions. Unfortunately, I cannot access most of FTX's current or historical data right now in order to explore or confirm my understandings. I also cannot access most of my own notes, writing spreadsheets, data, or email. Mr. Race Team, who is the uh, interim CEO of FTX, has even refused to return me my credentials for my purely personal accounts. Okay, that's the end of page one. So, so far, it seems like F- SBF is trying to portray himself as a righteous hero, attempting to make himself whole, looking out for the customers. He just wants to make sure everybody gets their money back, right? Wow, what a selfless guy. So far, I don't believe him. Moreover, it sounds like he's trying to frame the Chapter 11 team as 
not willing to partner together, perhaps a little adversarial, and a net a net detraction from the overall end goal, which is returning depositor funds. Note he also said FTX International, not FTX US. There's a, there's a clear distinction in that, but we'll keep going. On to page two. I deeply regret giving in to pressure to sign forms that that part precipitated the Chapter 11 filing just a few days after FTX International became potentially insolvent. Among other things, the Chapter 11 team was thrust into a very difficult situation, and I worry that they were given very, lis- very misleading information by a few members of the FTX US team when they joined. They are trying to manage multiple complex global entities and systems without support from many of the teams who used to run them. I believe it will be extremely hard, if not impossible, for the Chapter 11 team to move forward constructively without working cooperatively with many foreign jurisdictions that have direct regulatory and operational control over FTX International and its subsidiaries. Interesting. Let's keep going before I get feedback. I have offered many times to help the Chapter 11 team. To cite one example, I would have been able to easily connect some pieces of data they have they have expressed an inability to find in their court filings. I have not received responses to those offers or to any other messages I have sent them. I have reached out to Mr. Ray and the Chapter 11 team numerous times. Sometimes I've been requesting access to my own data, but other times I've been attempting to alert them to potentially important information for their jobs and duties as creditors and customers to FT as uh, for their jobs and duties to creditors and customers of FTX. I have sent five emails to Mr. Ray. He has never responded, nor has he reached out to me to communicate in any other ways. He has not, for example, for instance, responded to an email of mine that stated I have potentially pertinent information concerning the future opportunities and financing for FTX and its creditors. I also believe that I have relevant financial information about FTX that I further and further that I have potentially relevant regulatory information concerning FTX. I would love to talk to you, whether it's via email or phone, and to work constructively with you and the Chapter 11 team to do what's best for customers. Hmm. So far, it sounds like FTX is trying to paint the picture of an an un, a Chapter 11 bankruptcy team that's unwilling or unable to partner with him in the pursuit of restoring depositor funds and acting with regulatory clarity across many global independent FTX institutions. He also seems to regret filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, at least at this point. Okay, here we go. To the best of my knowledge, FTX has FTX US has been and remains solvent and could pay off all of its customers in full tomorrow. Unfortunately, the Chapter 11 team has frozen F, the FTX US exchange, blocking customers' access to their in account information and funds. Wow. Let's keep going. 
the customers who have lost assets are those who traded on the FTX international platforms, which do not accept U.S. residents. My primary focus right now is to do what's right by the customers of FTX International who were hurt. I am fighting to make these customers as whole as I can, and I will keep doing so as long as I see any pathway forward because it is my duty. I believe there's a credible path forward to put together billions of dollars of additional funds for FTX International customers. That would involve significant external financing, which in turn I would believe would require the FTX exchange to restart operations. Doing so would be significantly easier if the Chapter 11 team worked cooperatively with the foreign jurisdictions that have regulatory authority over FTX International and its subsidiaries. This is interesting. So he's saying that FTX US has the funds to remain solvent and return all of the depositor funds tomorrow. He's saying that he regrets the uh, decision to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, that because the Chapter 11 team is in the U.S., that they potentially lack the breadth of information needed to participate and cooperate with the regulatory bodies who are responsible for FTX International. Maybe I'm reading it between the lines here. I probably am. But perhaps he's trying to make a case that there is not or at a minimum, there is a limited amount of regulatory input required from U.S. regulators, given they think that the FTX U.S. exchange is whole and the money could be paid in full tomorrow. If the FTX U.S. exchange accounts were reactivated via the Chapter 11 bankruptcy team. Hmm. All right, this is the end of page two. We're going to page three uh, next where it covers what happened. Okay, I have heard complaints from the Chapter 11 that the Chapter 11 team is refusing to respond to regulatory inquiries from foreign regulators, sometimes at the risk of employees going to jail. I have also heard complaints of the Chapter 11 team freezing or otherwise interfering with funds belonging to various operating entities of FTX International. I hope that this is greatly exaggerated, or at least that it was a product of an initial unfamiliarity with the company and industry that has now passed. It has been a month since Chapter 11 filing, and the password to my LinkedIn account still has not been returned, so I'm not overly optimistic. I have a duty towards the colleagues and supporters who fought for FTX day after day. And who are deeply hurt by this collapse, they don't bear any responsibility for. It's weird. He's framing himself like a, a patriot, a crusader in this, and that he's separating the loss of depositor funds from him being personally responsible. And rather, he's trying to pave a way forward for depositor funds to be made whole, even though he's the individual who. Initiated trades directly or indirectly under supervision that caused depositor funds, even if it's on FTX International, to be lost. It's interesting. Still don't believe him. But I wouldn't put it past him that the uh, Chapter 11 US-based bankruptcy team uh, probably is trying to box him out, right? So what happened? This reconstruction of events 
concerns FTX International, a non-U.S. crypto exchange for non-Americans who went out of the Bahamas and not regulated in the U.S. To my knowledge, FTX U.S., a separate U.S.-based exchange that does accept Americans for solvent and thus all U.S. customers could and should be made whole immediately. I wish I could give a fuller account of what happened. Unfortunately, I don't have access to much of that relevant data right now. Here is the reconstruction of events to the best of my recollection. Okay, this is interesting because we've posted many, many articles on what we think happened with respect to the loss of depositor funds and the co-mingling with Alameda Research. So this will be his point of view. Okay, back to the article. One, I started Alameda Research, a private crypto trading firm in 2017. Two, I started FTX International, a non-U.S. crypto exchange for non-Americans in 2019. I got to stop there. I don't believe it. He knows that FTX International was used by Americans. Come on. I began transitioning away from an active role in the Alameda research then. I started F3. I started FTX US, a US crypto exchange that does accept Americans in 2020. Four, in reconstructing the events of 2021, 2022, I am relying on memory and extrapolations as I was not fully aware of many of the critical events at the time they happened. And I do not have access to the relevant data right now that would allow me to confirm or disconfirm my best guess at this point. I was not running Alameda research this past year. 4A. FTX is a derivative exchange, as is true for most financial exchanges. Users are permitted to put margin or leverage positions. This means that users are allowed to put down less than the full cost of their positions with their obligation to repay back by the posted collateral. A significant percentage of customers on FTX engaged in margin trading. Alameda Research was one such user. FTX was licensed and regulated to operate by regulators globally, including the Bahamas, Switzerland, Japan, Australia, Cyprus, and Dubai. Over the past years, as markets crash, Alameda's assets fell substantially. In 2021, I believe Alameda Research likely had a net asset value of over $50 billion. Mark to market. Sidebar, mark to market is if you take all the assets they have in possession and then you market at the, mar- at the fair market value. That is the net asset value. The problem with that is for highly illiquid tokens you couldn't actually sell that token at market value, right? So if you control 80% of the FTT token, which is what Al, which is what FTX did, even though it was trading at $50 a share, $50 a token, you couldn't actually liquidate uh, 200 million tokens at once on the exchange because, number one, you own 80% of the token. So mark-to-market is kind of funny money. Keep that in mind. All right, continuing on. This is 4C1. I believe that Alameda was likely leveraged long, perhaps 1.1 leverage. Really? That is, it had corresponding assets for roughly 90% of its positions and borrowed the remaining 10. That was roughly 1/20th of the maximum leverage FTX allowed and roughly one-third of the leverage assumed by the average FTX margin trader. In early November 2022, over a three-day period, the market value of 
of assets that Alameda Research held declined dramatically, I believe, by more than 50%. Again, this is the FTT token, which collectively uh, FTX, SBF, had a majority control over. After the crash, Alameda had roughly $11 billion of assets and roughly $11 billion of liabilities marked to market, including its position on FTX. However, many of those assets were not very liquid, see, and could not be quickly sold. I believe that roughly $3 billion of the assets were highly liquid, leaving a liquidity shortfall of roughly $8 billion. I think in our analysis we said between like $400 million and $2 billion, so... Close. This is a very rough approximation of Alameda Researches and that assets and liabilities over time in billions. I do not have access to all of this data now and did not know much at this time. Thus, the these numbers may be incorrect or incomplete. Okay, we're looking at a table. There's column one, which are dates. Column two, it's assets. Column three, liabilities. Column four, net asset value. Column five, liquidity. In November, assets 11, liabilities negative 11, uh, net asset value 0, liquidity is negative 8. Let's go back up. So I believe that $3 billion of assets were highly liquid, leaving a liquidity shortfall of $8 billion. Oh, I see. Okay. So he's saying that we had $11 billion of assets and $11 billion of liabilities, so the net asset value was zero. But the reality is that of the $11 billion of assets, only $3 billion were liquid, right? Which means they could be sold at, uh, at the spot price and on an exchange, which, le which left negative $8 billion of liquidity, which is uh, $3 billion minus the 11 of assets. So as we the table progresses Octo from uh, that's now, the row two is October, row three is pre-Luna, and then 2021 uh, is the last one. Okay, so we just explained now where they are today, November. But as of the end of 2021, uh, Alameda Research had 11, wow, $114 billion of assets, negative $15 billion of liabilities, had a net asset value of... 99 but still a liquidity of 8 negative 8 billion so he's saying that of the 114 billion dollars of assets wow 108 were not liquid what the heck oh this is crazy this is crazy. Let's keep reading. At the same time, there was a run on the bank on FTX. There was, I believe, roughly $4 billion of client withdrawals per day. Shortly after, Zhe Zengpang, ZZ, Binance's CEO, tweeted on November 6th that he would sell all of his company's holdings in FTT, a token that Alameda Research had a substantial holding in. Yep. This put extreme pressure on FTX and forced the exchange to margin call Substantial customer positions. Yeah. That's the 1.1x position he was talking about. You put in a million. I trade 1.1 million. 
right? That means I've put uh, uh, 90% in and like my leverage is that 10%. Alameda Research was not able to deliver sufficient liquid liquid assets for its margin call and defaulted against FTX International. That's important. Because of the client, because of the run of the bank, the $4 billion of client withdrawals per day, FTX had to call all of the margin positions from all of its customers, including Alameda Research. But because at that same time, Alameda Research had $11 billion of assets, but only $3 billion were liquid, they actually had negative $8 billion of assets, plus the $11 billion of liabilities they already had. So they had no money. Whew. Thus, FTX International wasn't able to, to meet customer withdrawal requirements. All right, that's the end of the what happened section. So to recap, there was a bank run. The broader crypto uh, market crashed. This forced uh, FTX to call all the margin positions. Alameda Research uh, had... $11 billion of assets, but of the $11 billion, only $3 billion were liquid, but they also had $11 billion of liabilities, so they really had no money. It was a double whammy. Also interesting to call out that uh, Binance CEO CZ tweet. I don't trust the guy for sure, but... Uh, he has his own problems, but I think that was a catalyst for part of this bank run. So what went wrong? Page four. A large number of things had to go wrong for this to happen. Because I was not running Alameda, I was not aware of some of the critical events at the time. But I was running FTX, and that means it was ultimately my responsibility to do right by FTX customers. Alameda research became insolvent when the economic environment changed. Okay, this is the part where he outlines why he was unable to pay back the margin position at FTX. Alameda put on a margin position that was sustainable in the economic environment of late 2021. Roughly 10% leverage. All right, and I think in the example he gave earlier, yeah, 1.1 leverage. That means 90% of the position was collateralized by cash and the 10% was borrowed, right? As tightening in the monetary as tightening monetary policy, a war and supply chain problems hit throughout 2022, asset prices asset prices crashed. I believe that asset prices fell roughly by 90% over the course of the year. So even 10% leverage was too much. Leverage giveth and leverage taketh. B, a run of the bank forced immediate liquid delivery from FTX. That means all of the depositors wanted their money out. They had uh, short-term uh, positions in FTX. These are just depositor funds, right? And this meant that FTX had only a few days to margin call a substantial, fairly illiquid margin position. Okay. So the bank run caused FTX, uh, the bank run caused FTX to be in a cash constrained position because they were in a cash constrained position. They had to, they had to initiate a margin call position 
but they couldn't. This meant F- this meant that FTX had only a few days to margin call a substantial, fairly liquid margin position. That was Alameda in reference to. Okay. Interesting. So putting this all together so far, FTX had to uh, mar- had to call back the margin positions of independent traders like Alameda Research, but the Alameda Research trade, which was leveraged by what one point one times. was already considered illiquid because Alameda Research's assets fell by 90%. Let's see if we can do some math on that, right? It went from 110 billion to 10 to 10 billion, right? Wow, that means Alameda must have been totally mar- totally leveraged. If they had a hundred billion dollars in assets and were and it was collateralized by ninety percent, that means they took out they had like a hundred and ten billion dollar position. So when a hundred and ten billion dollar position loses like ninety percent of its value, it goes to like fifteen billion. I wonder why there weren't automatic liquidations, right? That's crazy. You yeah, like if uh, in a regular margin position, like the bank will call your position and liquidate it automatically. If you put in a hundred dollars and you borrow a hundred fifty dollars, and then the position you go into the stock you buy goes from like a hundred fifty dollars to like fifty dollars, uh, the bank will automatically li- liquidate your position well before that fifty dollar point uh, to return the principal amount. Oh, this is this is spicy. This is spicy. Okay, keep going. A failure of hedges. As best as I can reconstruct looking back, in late 2021, Alameda Research is not sufficiently hedged. I believe that it had a total margin position, much of which was not on FTX. That was roughly $8 billion in size and likely had $2 billion of hedges. By fall 2022, I believe Alameda Research had a position of roughly eight and margin position of eight billion dollars and likely had roughly eight billion dollars of hedges. However, the crash that occurred in November 2022 was not a broad market crash or even a crypto market crash. From November 7th to the 9th, Bitcoin was drawn down. Bitcoin from November 7th to November 9th, Bitcoin was down roughly 17% and equity markets were flat, but Alameda's assets were down more than 50%. So the hedge didn't work. That's interesting. They had a margin position of $8 billion. I wonder how much cash they had. This is the classic hedge fund risk that all of a firm's positions can become highly correlated. Even if there are some thought to be hedges as happened with long-term capital management and in the 2008 financial crisis. Piercing together what I can, in retrospect, Alameda's research 
roughly $8 billion net short margin position and liquid assets lined up with the following expenditures. Interest payments to ben- interest payments to lenders, $1 billion. VC investments, $4 billion. Buying back Binance's stake in FTX, $3 billion. Interesting. Failures of FTX internal controls. The FTX dashboard used to use for user positions did not display Alameda's full position size on the platform because of a historical accounting quirk. I now believe that Alameda's position was twice as large as what it displayed. My periodic assessment of the riskiness of our positions are often based on the dashboard's numbers. FTX had annual audited gap financial statements which to my knowledge were generally correct. However, they were merely those were for merely FTX's corporate financial state, not the audit of customer risk. Risk management. While FTX International had a team dedicated to financials and to many other areas of the business, it did not have a team dedicated to risk management or to user position monitoring. I, as CEO, did not put an adequate effort into monitoring risk on FTX. Okay. Now he goes into uh, like 11 points on Binance. I won't belabor this point because at the end of the day, I fucked up. I will note the following. Alameda's assets fell precipitously in value beginning on November 6th. Hours after Binance CEO tweeted his intent to sell his holdings, the run of the bank was triggered by the same tweet as Binance's CEO. The tweet followed what I believe to be a month of sustained negative PR on FTX driven largely by Binance. Alameda's hedges failed on November 2022 because the crash was specific to the hedges, triggered by the same PR campaign as ZZ. I mean, he should have—they shouldn't have took such a leverage position on the FTT tokens, right? FTT tokens have no revenue accrual. Okay, putting that aside, around November 8th, we agreed with ZZ on a deal that would have Binance acquire FTX at a small fraction of its value a week earlier. We signed a letter of intent preventing us from talking to other potential investors as long as negotiations with Binance were ongoing. During that time, I received serious expressions of interest from multiple potential investors who represented billions in capital that could have gone to customers. I was inhibited by responding to the letter of intent. A day later, Binance announced they were going to not going to move to the deal. We later learned about them backing out from their Twitter post. Well, that's wild. That is wild. Roughly $3 billion of capital was used buying Binance's stake in FTX because Binance's equity ownership was causing KYC issues for FTX. Binance was not cooperative in supplying information about CZ to regulatory bodies and FTX was applying for licensure with. A few months ago, FTX was generally considered to be Binance's most significant competitor globally. After the crash, Binance has averaged roughly 70% of crypto volume currently. Up from 50% before. There are reports that due to its increase in market share following FTX's collapse, Binance might be able to avoid regulatory enforcement. There is so much more to say about Binance, its role in the cryptocurrency ecosystem, and relationship to FTX. But this is neither the time nor the place for it. Interesting. So he admits that Alameda Research was leveraged long on margin positions, but because of the, what is it called, PR campaign, right? There was a specific, he doesn't call it broad market. He calls it, what, specific downward pressure on the FTT token 
that put Alameda Research in a highly liquid position where they could not cover their margin position anymore. They had $8 billion at least, and they also had a billion dollars of interest payments to lenders, one four billion to BCs, and what three billion to buy back Binance's second FTX for the regulatory issue we just specified. But they had a hundred and fourteen billion dollars in assets, literally ten months ago. But the majority of those assets were now deemed to be illiquid. Okay. Moving on to page six. For the above to go wrong, I, CEO of FTX, had to make a number of significant mistakes. I believe that the thread that most ties them together is that for much of 2022, I was grounded, I was less grounded in operational details than I had been before. I had prided myself on staying grounded in the weeds day to day in the company, but by mid 2022, I would believe that I was spending approximately 20% of my time talking with regulators and policymakers in DC, 20% of my time branding and new pathways for FTX, including remittances, financial settlement, and sports partnerships, 20% of my time managing the FTX growing workforce. Together, those were maybe 25% of my time in 2020, but by 2022, that was closer to 75%. That's time that wasn't spent focusing on actual core product, including risk management. Mm. I prided myself on having strong work ethic. I began FTX by routinely working 18 hours a day, but for much of 2022, I believe I was working about 30% less than what I used to. And even when I was working, I was less focused and less disciplined than I used to be. I thought I could hold the FTX together despite the expansion, but I was wrong. I bit off more than I could chew, and I ended up failing to focus on risk management. Interesting. I deeply regret what happened, and I would give anything to be able to go back and put in place the detailed oversight and risk management that I should have. Right now, I'm focusing on what I can do to make customers whole and reflecting on what I did wrong. At this point, he doesn't actually admit to using any depositor funds to cover uh, any like margin positions, though. What happened with those depositor funds? Let's keep going. I wish that I had operated FTX internationally with a consistently high degree of transparency. We are transparent about market data and access to FISA and many other things. We were not transparent or even internally, even to ourselves, about assets, margins, position, and risk. I wish that I had ensured we had built out public monitors that displayed total credit, total client balances, total blockchain balances, total bank and fiat balances, total bank and fiat balances that were in a payment processor's name, total margin size, total futures position size, the amount and types of collateral that were used to support these the treatment of margin and risk on all accounts. I wish that I had deployed public API endpoints to pull the above data, private API endpoints to serve anonymized versions of account balances. I wish that I could show, I wish that when the cracks began to show, I had communicated openly with our employees, users, and community rather than freezing up and remaining mostly quiet per loyal instructions as people wondered what happened. I wish I had not clicked that DocuSign on 4 30 a.m., leaving some of FTX under destructive leadership. And I deeply regret not taking the advice of employees and supporters who knew that who knew what chapter 11 would mean for customers. 
I received a call from a regulatory experienced advisor who I deeply trust and respect shortly before 4.30 a.m. imploring me not to do it. What they said felt correct to me. I talked with my counsel, who strongly pushed back. In retrospect, I can confidently say they were right, and my ex, and now my ex-counsel was wrong. And for more than anything else, I wish that I remained grounded and spent less time focusing, spent at least as much time focusing on and safeguarding user assets as I did on branding and partnerships. Damn. Okay. So when the position started to go sideways via the FTX bank run, via the downward pressure in the FTT token, via the margin calls that FTX had to call back and liquidate, there wasn't regulatory oversight and internal checks and balances to make sure that FTX was able to return depositor accounts, depositor amounts, because he was too busy on sports branding. Hmm. And he doesn't seem to trust his his uh, legal counsel at the time. Okay, I think we're halfway through, it says the time check. And a lot of, there's a lot of graphics in the next, in the next couple pages, but we have to keep reading. Now he's going to go into chapter 11. Between November 6th and November 10th, I received a large number of calls from prospective investors, many of them potentially interested in contributing more than a billion dollars of financing. Together, there was substantially more strong interest than what it would have taken to make all customers immediately whole. Interesting. And this is FTX International. Starting on November 8th, I was put under extreme pressure to file Chapter 11. Most of that pressure came from Ryan Miller, the general counsel of FTX US, and a former partner of Sullivan and Cromwell. And Sullivan and Cromwell itself. Oh, wow. And Sullivan and Cromwell itself. Wow. Sullivan and Cromwell was one of the primary external law firms that represented FTX US as well as FTX International at the time. I have 19 pages of Sullivan and Cromwell, Mr. Miller, and others I believe were influenced by them. All sent over a two-day period, pressuring me to quickly file for Chapter 11. They range from adamant to mentally unbalanced. They also called many of my friends, co-workers, and family members, pressuring them to file. Pressuring them to pressure me to file. Some of them who were emotionally damaged by the pressure. Some of them came to me crying. It was only later that I was informed that it was a very unusual for such a significant filing to be made so quickly. Damn. Sullivan and Cromwell chose John Ray to run the Chapter 11 team. During the time I was pressured to file, Sullivan and Cromwell lawyers told my counsel that I would get to choose the board chair. Sullivan and Cromwell silently reneged on that a few days later. At roughly 4.30 a.m. on November 10th, against my better judgment, I clicked on the DocuSign link that would nominate John Ray as the CEO of various entities. Less than 10 minutes later, I received a potential funding for billions of dollars to help make customers whole. A few minutes thereafter, I instructed my counsel to rescind the document and it had become clear to me that it was not my best way forward. My counsel informed me that 
minutes later, it was too late to rescind it, and Sullivan and Cromwell lawyers were submitting it on my behalf, despite my instructions not to. Roughly six hours later, more than ample time to change course, Sullivan and Cromwell filed the document with the court against my express wishes and stated orders. After that, John Ray filed for Chapter 11 for all of the entities, including a fully solvent entity FTX US, which they ex- which they shut down, customer access and withdrawals, John Ray and his appointed team as legal counsel for Chapter 11 team, Sullivan and Cromwell. Wait, but like there was a, there was like a $400 million hack at this time. I wonder why that happened. So, so far, immediately after signing the bankruptcy filings, he has buyer's, regr- buyer's remorse and tries to backtrack the contract, but can't. Okay. John Ray is famous primarily for his work for the Enron bankruptcy estate. Sullivan and Cromwell recommended John Ray to manage the FTX bankruptcy. In the Enron bankruptcy, law firms including Sullivan and Cromwell were paid $700 million in fees from funds that would have gone to creditors. Wow, that's interesting. To summarize my knowledge, when Enron went through the Chapter 11 process, John Ray and SC were both lawyers and or administrators for the estate, which paid out roughly $700 million in legal fees. Then when FTX crashed, an ex-SC partner chose SC to represent FTX. That's the U.S. General Legal Counsel that he hired. Hmm. SC pressured me to file Chapter 11 and filed the documents despite my instructions not to. SC chose John Ray as the CEO of the Chapter 11 estate. John Ray then chose SC to represent Chapter 11 estate. CS reneged on the agreement and let me choose the board chair. And then John Ray appointed the board. In an official statement, the Bahamas Attorney General Ryan Pender said it is possible that the prospect of a multi-million dollar legal and consulting fee is driving both the Chapter 11 legal strategy and their interpret statements. Damn. So it's putting, let's take a step back. During the Enron collapse, Sullivan and Cromwell was an attorney that was a law firm that oversaw the estate of the Enron bankruptcy, right? That estate generated approximately $700 million in legal fees that went to Sullivan Cromwell, which is the law firm. When FTX filed bankruptcy, the FTX U.S. head of legal, a former Sullivan and Cromwell partner, recommended that Sullivan and Cromwell be the law firm that manages the FTX bankruptcy. SBF agrees to that, signs it. Sullivan and Cromwell chooses to represent, uh, chooses to select John Ray as the CEO of the FTX bankruptcy proceedings, and John Ray was the bankruptcy attorney for FTX. It comes full circle. <laughs> 
And then now the Bahamas Attorney General Ray Pinder said that, essentially, I'm paraphrasing it, but the catalyst for the consultancy and legal strategy is a billable rate from uh, Sullivan and Cromwell via John Ray. I will end this section with a screenshot message with a screenshot of a message Mr. Miller sent to much of FTX's leadership team. At 10.23 p.m. on November 8th, 2022. And it reads, Riney Miller, I need to wire Solcrom 4 million to make sure we are represented through this and we preserve any value that's left tomorrow from FTX.com cash. Who can do it? I'm in charge now. Needless to say, Sullivan and Cromwell has not made sure that we are all represented through this. They have done a good job for making sure they were wired for Malin. Okay, stop. I pro- I will agree that legal these law firms like Sullivan and Cromwell are cash grabs to maximize the billable rate for their partners. And that this Ryan and Miller guy probably took the $4 million from FTX.com. Could have been from depositor funds. It could have been from anywhere. Right? And this is this is not ideal. So we can agree that Sullivan and Cromwell, Ryan Miller, are not acting in the best interests, perhaps in the lead up to the contract execution. But again, what was the catalyst for action that got us here, right? It was SBF, it was the depositor funds, and it was, again, the FTT token that has no revenue accrual that was used to that was used to facilitate uh, all of the leverage positions that we've described so far. Moving on to page nine. As of today, I am still aware of billions of dollars of serious offers of financing, including signed letters of intent, billions of dollars that could potentially make customers substantially whole. However, I believe that those are all conditional on FTX being restarted as an exchange. I sincerely hope that the global teams working on FTX are seriously considering such a possibility because I believe it would drive a large amount of value to customers and creditors. I hope at the very least that FTX global entities are prioritizing allowing customers to get access to their account data and history. However, I admit I'm not optimistic about some parts of this process. I've not myself witnessed any progress by Mr. Ray's team towards raising substantial funds or restarting the exchange. A few days prior to Chapter 11, Mr. Miller referenced my plans, the capital raised, and was is quote a zero percent likelihood. And in my response to keep FTX active, Mr. Miller said, "There's nothing to save, Sam." As of today, FTX US is off, and customers cannot access their account, let alone withdrawal. To my knowledge, FTX is solvent. FTX US is solvent, and can make all customers whole. I'm surprised and saddened that it has not. I understand that the FTX Chapter 11 team has been placed in a very complex and difficult situation. I regret 
placing them there. I regret the oversight. Hmm. I both regret the oversight that allowed for this insolvency in the first place and what I believe to be an overly rushed and improper transfer of control of filing. I also heard very good things about many members of the Chapter 11 team, especially those from Alvarez and Marcel, and I believe that they could be extremely valuable members of a more global progress forward for FTX. Okay, so to sum up that section, uh, Sullivan and Cromwell uh, boxed out FTX, SBF, from any conversations once the DocuSign was executed. Uh, F- SBF believed that FTX U.S. funds could have been made whole, at least in the U.S. locality. That was pushed back. And now SBF is the victim. To quote Mr. Miller, there is nothing to save Sam. Now we're moving on to page 10, which is FTX International Jurisdictions. To my knowledge, the serious problems that occurred as a result of the crash in early November all happened on FTX International. FTX US was not generally effective and remains, to my knowledge, fully solvent. There are currently multiple insolvency proceedings around the world in Delaware, the Bahamas, Australia, and more and a few relevant facts to my knowledge. FTX International is a separate entity from the U.S. Neither neither entity is a subsidy of the other, nor are they subsidiaries of the same holding company. FTX does not accept U.S. customers, is not based in the United States, did not maintain a significant U.S. workforce, was not regulated in the U.S., and was not operated out of a U.S. entity. FTX International Terms of Service prohibited customers from the following locations from accessing their platform. USA, bolded, Cuba, Crimea, Sevastopol, Luhansk People's Republic, Donetsk People's Republic, Iran, Afghanistan, Syria, and North Korea. FTX International's headquarters are in the Bahamas. FTX International had 100 employees and did not, to my knowledge, maintain any employee primarily based in the U.S. outside of U.S. legal counsel. FTX International is regulated in a large number of jurisdictions, including the Bahamas, Australia, Cyprus, Switzerland, the UAE, Japan, and others, but not the U.S., the primary operating entity of FTX International was FTX Digital Markets, LTD, in the Bahamas. The majority of the minded management of FTX International worked in FDM, which is FTX Digital Markets, in the Bahamas. The primary regulator was the Securities Commission of the Bahamas overseeing FDM. I believe the majority of users faced FDM and the majority of assets were of users who faced FDM. FDM is not part of any Chapter 11 process. FDM was placed under the oversight of the Joint Provisional Liquidators by the Securities Commission of the Bahamas roughly a day prior to the initiation of the Chapter 11 process. Oh, wow, and was not included in any Chapter 11 filings. The JPL have filed for recognition in Delaware court as the primary insolvency process. I do not believe Mr. Ray or any members of his CEO are or are, are on the board of directors of the primary entity 
of FTX International, and as such, I do not believe they have lawful jurisdiction over the preponderance of FTX's international insolvencies. Interesting. So he's making the claim that uh, double downing on FTX US being liquid, depositor funds are there, right? And this Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceeding excludes FTX International, also known as FDM, and none of the None of the members of the Chapter 11 bankruptcy team are participating in the joint provisional liquidation team, which was initiated by the Securities Commission of the Bahamas. That I remember there being over 130 regulatory, 130 corporate entities that made up the FTX corporate structure. I'm curious to know how many of those are a subsidiary FDM versus FTX US. Let's let's keep let's keep moving forward. American customers were protected at least until Mr. Ray's team took over. FCX US had a number of regulators, including for all various entities, the CFTC, the SEC, the FINRA, state regulatory agencies, all of which, to my knowledge, are in the US. FTX has regulatory oversight from a completely different set of regulators, none of which are in the US. FTX maintained a separate order book, matching engine, and user base from FTX International. I do not believe there were any large position, large margin positions on FTX US that were significantly insolvent during the period in question or for any time that matter. To my knowledge, FTX US had segregated funds from FTX International, at least as of when Ray became CEO of FTX US. Moving on to page 12. In fact, to my knowledge, FTX US is and always has been solvent. I believe that U.S. customers were not directly harmed by the events in early November and that all U.S. customers of FTX, and in fact all customers of FTX U.S., could and should be made whole immediately. As of when I had access to FTX U.S. data, which was around November 10th, to the best of my knowledge, FTX U.S. had net assets of roughly, had net assets, which are assets in excess of customer liabilities, of roughly $350 million. With no insolvent customer position or corporate mismatches between assets and liabilities, that could make a substantial impact on the above number. Right. Given the above, I believe that U.S. customer assets were safeguarded. U.S. customers could be made whole. U.S. customers should be made whole immediately. When... John Ray became CEO of FTX US on November 10th. FTX US was still operational and still processing customer withdrawals. I intended and expected for withdrawals to remain open, making all customers whole. I am surprised that did not happen. I do not believe that Chapter 11 process is or has ever been appropriate for FTX US. And I believe that US customers are being materially harmed by the process without good reason. Okay. There's lots to unpack there. Let's take it one step at a time. FTX International 
also known as FDM, was put into a joint provisional liquidators oversight committee by the Securities Commission of the Bahamas. FDM, also known as FTX International, is the FTX corporate entity which experienced the bank run and the rush of customer withdrawals. Separate from that, there's FTX US, which, according to SBF's position, had $350 million in excess of customer deposits at the same time. SBF doesn't seem to deny the co-mingling of depositor funds. I don't think he even acknowledges it so far. He doesn't deny or acknowledge the use of assets to buy houses uh, in the Bahamas for family members. He's essentially doubling down on the solvency of FTX.us and the Chapter 11 banks bankruptcy team's inability to see across the broad regulatory global framework that FTX International operated in. Now he goes on to address misstatements. There have been a number of misstatements made over the course of this process, which I believe are inaccurate or misleading. Below is a partial list of them. Numerous assertions by the Chapter 11 process and team that John Ray is the CEO of FTX International. John Ray is not the CEO of the primary operating entity operating FT of FTX International. Numerous assertions by Chapter 11 that there were unauthorized access of customer funds by the Bahamas. Oh, this is this was popular. In one Chapter 11 filing, John Ray stated that there was credible evidence that the Bahamian government is responsible for directing unauthorized access to the debtor's systems for the purposing of obtaining digital assets of the debtors. That took place after the commencement of these Chapter 11 cases. So this claim is that the Bahamian government access FTX to obtain assets. The Bahamas is where FTX International is headquartered. The Securities Commission of the Bahamas is the primary regulator regulator for FTX International. The mind and management of FTX International has been in the Bahamas further prior to chapter filing Chapter 11 filings. The Securities Commission of the Bahamas initiated an administrative process over FTX digital markets. The Bahamian entity and operating entity of FTX International, an entity which was thus not included in the Chapter 11 filings. Okay, another statement he claims to be not true. The Bahamas stepped in to safeguard customer access. Wait, this is still under point two. The Bahamas dipped into safeguard customer assets, acting in their duty as the primary regulator of FTX International. Meanwhile, John Ray's team, running out of the U.S., initiated an asset seizure of FTX International, a company run from the Bahamas, regulated in the Bahamas, serving non-U.S. clients. Their assumption without L without evidence of malign intent and incompetence. 
on part of other races, cultures, and governments would be considered deeply offensive if directed at American minorities. So he's claiming that uh, <laughs> that uh, the FTX bankruptcy team is racist. It is no less offensive when directed at citizens or of other countries, let alone the regulators. And meanwhile, seizing assets by other governments is a practice almost recently considered. Meanwhile, seizing assets overseen by other governments is a practice most recently considered appropriate centuries ago. Hmm. So he's saying that the FTX U.S. bankruptcy team uh, un took unauthorized access of depositor funds via FTX International, which they actually technically, according to this statement, had no legal jurisdiction to do so. I believe, okay, here's the next statement that uh, SBF believes to be a lie. I believe that the current Chapter 11 team has significantly overstepped its mandate. Numerous entities were improperly placed in Chapter 11 proceedings by the Chapter 11 team, either because John Ray was not the CEO of these entities, they were not owned by FTX, FTX US, or Alameda Research to begin with. Oh, interesting. So there were entities, in addition to FTX International, that were placed in the bankruptcy proceedings that are out of the jurisdiction of John Ray. They are subject to other global insolvency process that proceeded and thus supersede the Chapter 11 process, or they were not filed properly. This includes entities that I believe I own the vast. This includes entities that I believe own the vast majority of customer accounts of FTX International and oversee the vast majority of customer assets. I believe that the assets, properties, credentials, password, cryptographic keys, domain names, and govern governance of FTX International should rest with the CEO, board of directors, and local regulatory appointed administrators of the core entity or entities that primarily operated FTX International. So he's saying that this is all out of the all out of control of John Ray. Those entities are the entities that most of the customers of FTX International faced that control most of the assets of FTX International that housed the mind and management of FTX International and that had the ultimate governance over most of FTX International during the global restructuring process. So again, reiterating that John Rand, the Chapter 11 bankruptcy team, uh, is overstepping their boundaries. I hope that Mr. Ray and the Chapter 11 team can agree with me on that. I believe that much of the current Chapter 11 team, including Alvarez and Marcel, is putting in a heroic effort to manage the difficult global business on very little notice, but that the initial and current leadership and direction they have gotten has been counterproductive. I further think that the leadership does not have legal authority to lead the global restructuring and financing efforts as they are not the current CEO, board of directors, or locally regulatory appointed administrators of the core entity that primary, primarily operated FTX International. As such, I believe they are acting outside of their mandate, defying laws in multiple jurisdictions, and misappropriating funds that are the property of the primary entity of FTX International. I think that the Chapter 11 team would be extremely useful and better served working constructively with the legally and regulatory valid global leadership of the operating entities of FTX International. I feel like this is wrote by his dad, who's like a corporate attorney. He's basically doubling down on like the jurisdictionality of FTX International, FDM versus like FTX US and other entities that John Ray does not have control over. Uh, 
but are included in the bankruptcy proceedings. Okay, next. In one Chapter 11 filing, John Ray stated the dilutive minting of approximately $300 million of tokens by an unauthorized source after the petition date. There was no such mintings, and block explorers would confirm. This statement is bizarre, confrontational, false, and harms the reputation of the people, including myself. In one Chapter 11 filing, John included a graph regarding FDX customers by jurisdiction and claiming that 20% of customers were over were from the Cayman Islands. In fact, according to data from October 2022, less than 1% of trading accounts on FTX were from the Cayman Islands. And then a pie chart is displayed that has John Ray's statement of 22% from the Cayman Islands through which FTX counter argument counter uh, makes a counterpoint says only 1% are actually from the Cayman Islands. Let's see, where's everyone else from? Virgin Islands, 11%. Great Britain, 8%. China, 8%. Singapore, 6%. US unauthorized, 2%. Netherlands, 1%. Luxembourg, 1%. It goes on and on and on and on. Those are the big ones, though. Bermuda, 5%. There have been various statements made by John Ray in filings about his own team's inability to produce data, including a complete list of those who worked for the FTX group, daily reconciliation of positions on the blockchain, and a list of their top 50 creditors, including customers. To my knowledge, each of these existed, and I personally would have been able to produce some of the above. Neither I nor, to my knowledge, most of the international leadership team have been asked to help with queries, including the above. I offered to help John Ray. I also alerted him to the potentially significant information about the business. He has never responded to any of my messages. John Ray complained about the failure of the co-founders and potentially others to identify additional wallets believed to contain the debtor's address assets. To my knowledge, I've never been able to identify such wallets. To my knowledge, no wallets exist. Okay. So he's he thinks... John Ray thinks that there are some unknown crypto wallets out there that contain assets of depositors. And that the co-founders, SBF, are not getting any are not providing any assistance in obtaining those assets, through which SBF responds they don't exist and um he's never been asked. Okay, now we're moving on to page fifteen. Uh there's only Three pages left and one of pictures, so this is good. I believe that U.S. regulators have been told materially misleading information about FTX U.S., including claims that FTX U.S. is not solvent. I believe that it is solvent. During this process, many people have made accusations against me, some of them including, for instance, that I exhibited poor risk management over the oversight as CEO of FTX, but many are not. But many are not. And then he goes to the claims. Claims have been made that I personally or through an entity attempted to manipulate the stablecoin Tether in the wake of November 2022 crash. This is false. I have never attempted to manipulate the price of Tether and I am not aware of 
any activity by any company I run or own intending to manipulate the price of Tether. One such accusation was made by the C- by CZ, CEO of Binance, in a reference to a trade size of 250k. In addition to the accusation being categorically false, I think it's absurd that a trade of 250k could materially impact the price of Tether. CZ has plenty of context to know these claims are both false and absurd. So, include included, he has a screenshot of a Telegram group called Exchange Coordination, and it has CZ, SBF, and Stablecoins. And it's a message from CZ to SBF saying, Stop trying to depict stablecoins. Stop doing anything. Stop now. Don't cause more damage. Please stop. Pause withdrawals of only Tron, Justin Sun. Let the rest play out. And then SBF responds, huh? CZ says, the more damage you do now, the more jail time. And then SBF says, what am I doing to stablecoins? And then he clears a... And then he provides a a uh, Etherscan address of a two hundred fifty thousand dollar token swap. And then it goes on. That's so to be explicit, CZ. This is SBF talking. Are you claiming that you think the two hundred fifty k of uh, USDT trading would depeg it? But CZ says no. I don't think. 100 times that size will succeed. It is just causes small issues here and there and more work for market makers, etc. So you said stop trying to depeg stablecoins, um, SPF responded. Are you claiming that I was attempting to depeg the 250k trade? And then CZ responds, my honest take, stop doing everything, put on a suit, go back to DC and start to answer question. SPF responds, thanks for the advice. I do want to get clarity though, did you attempt to accuse me of trying to depeg a stable coin by doing a 250k trade? And then CZ says, anybody object me remove SPF from here? I think we should coordinate a bit to see how we best work together to help stabilize and restore confidence in the market. <laughs> and then, wow, let's see, does it go on or is that it? In addition to CZ, media has breathlessly reported that a Tether official also believes I attempted to manipulate Tether's price. Again, I deny this claim. I have had respect for the intelligence and authenticity of Tether's leadership team and would think that they would be such aware of such claims of manipulation are obviously false, that this is just a case of media making something out of nothing. Again, I would like to put in the congressional record that the claims that I attempted to manipulate the price of Tether are false. I have made larger mistakes this year, but it seems to be given license to some changes to propagate claims that are ridiculous, deconstructed, and false. Okay, claim two. Claims that I have that I personally or through an entity attempted to cause the implosion of the Theros capital this year. These are false. I never took actions with the intention of triggering the implosion of 3AC, nor to my knowledge did any company I run or own. In addition to being false, the claims did not make sense to me. Alameda's research on insolvency triggered by a market crash, which in turn triggered FTX's insolvency, 
would have been absurd to create a market crash in order to take out 3AC and then in turn banker my own business. He's saying it's not in his best interest to like facilitate any type of uh, bank run with 3AC because it would crush his FTX. Uh, his FT- it would cause the insolvency of FTX. More false claims, according to SBF. False claims that I have been made out have been made about buying out CZ's equity in FTX on Twitter. ZZ claimed we decided to pull out as an investor and a thread chock full of lies. In fact, I reached out to CZ in 2021 to initiate discussions about buying them out of their stake of FTX. I initiated discussions because, among other things, it's becoming increasingly difficult for FTX to operate with ZZ as a significant equity owner. CZ would not cooperate in sending his KYC information to regulators that we were applying for licenses with. CZ threatened at a last minute to walk away from the negotiated bout unless we kicked them an extra $75 million or so. We ultimately agreed to pay the $75 million because we were intent on severing relationships with CZ, something he undoubtedly surmised and used to his advantage to extort an extra $75 million from the above agreed-upon purchase price. Claims that Alameda Research would look at customer deposits on the FTX order to front on customers or hunt stop losses. This never happened. To my knowledge, Alameda Research does not have access to customer orders, let alone the desire to take advantage of them. Claims that I have billions of dollars stashed away somewhere. I am aware of a bank account, at best I can remember, has roughly $100,000 in it. While I have taken out loans of Alameda in my own name, those were not generally used for personal consumption or savings. They were used to invest in the business. I believe that they were taken out of Alameda's trading profits, which I believe were in the billions prior to 2022. I was not involved in the structuring of any of these loans. They were handled by inside and outside counsel. As a believer in in the effective altruism movement, my primary goal has never been personal enrichment. I'm motivated by a commitment to help bring happiness and alleviate suffering for others. My personal charitable donations were started in 2014 when I was working on Wall Street, vastly outstripped what's left in my bank account. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pay all the legal fees I'm likely to rack up, and I'm not sure what to do about that. But for now, I'm mostly trying to divert whatever funds of mine I can away from paying lawyers and towards bringing value to FTX customers. Hmm. More. Various conspiracies involving myself, Ukraine, and the DNC. Any theory that I conspired with the government of Ukraine to do anything other than what I stated I was doing, creating pathways for contributions to Ukrainians, to their defense is not just false, it's offensive. Any theories that a U.S. political party was further involved in such a conspiracy are themselves categorically false. Various claims that I created a hard partying culture at FTX. Our parties were mostly dinner and board games. I did not have my first drink until I was 21. More. Various claims that I am Jewish. Okay, this is technically correct. My name is Sam Benjamin Bankman fried My ancestors arrived from Ellis Island in the first half of the 20th century. I'll leave it to the reader to guess where they came. But I do think I need to spell out some other implications being made, but I don't. And last but not least, this is, he closes with this. The various theories that I take M-SAM for a high or to treat Parkinson's disease the M-SAM patch essentially never indicated or prescribed for, is essentially never indicated or prescribed for Parkinson's. The theory is likely a result from lazy internet searches, Celagene. M-SAM's underlying chemical is sometimes used for Parkinson's in oral form. I have a prescription for M-SAM. I have for roughly a decade. I use it daily for its 
only on label use as an antidepressant. It is not generally the case that people are expected to talk about their private medical conditions, but enough paparazzi has snapped photos of my belongings and theorized about it online that I've made no choice. The, the last few months have been difficult enough for everyone that it feels unremarkable for me. In comparison, they need to put on the official record that I am, for the most of my life, as an adult, have been sad. Wow. I have made many mistakes this year, but these are not among them. And that concludes the leaked unread testimony of SBF that he was supposed to present to the Financial Services Committee, but he was arrested. So my big takeaways from this, if we were to bubble this all up, number one, uh, complete misalignment with the Chapter 11 bankruptcy team. Seems like uh, they're zigging while he's zagging. He regrets submitting any bankruptcy proceeding documentation. He thinks FTX US is completely solvent. He thinks that the FTX US bankruptcy team has no legal oversight against FTX International. He thinks that S- he thinks that uh, that CZ from Binance created a PR campaign, which served as the catalyst for this. He thinks that his U.S. legal team was aligned with S with Sullivan and Cromwell, which was the legal firm that is now responsible for the FTX bankruptcy proceeding. What else is there? That uh, Alameda Research maintained only a 1.1 times margin position, but due to the downfall of the broader crypto ecosystem, partly and by the collapse of the Terra Luna coin, partly because of the PR campaign by CZ, it made the underlying assets of Alameda Research essentially zero, while in parallel creating a liquidity crunch where the assets that were liquid were less than the liabilities. I think that's the gist of it. I'm going to probably write an article about this, but in my conclusion, uh, he, I do think that SBF committed the act of co-mingling depositor funds. That is true. I do not think he is the only individual to be held accountable. I do think there are multiple actors in this that should be served or held to some level of accountability with respect to domestic and international law enforcement partners. But unfortunately or fortunately, uh, SBF is the centerpiece for this, and he is going to be the fall guy, like full stop. So thanks for listening, everyone. Hopefully you found that impactful. If you want to read it yourself, I think you should. It's in the show notes. Let me know what you think. Check out frontruncrypto.com for more long-form analysis. Lots of great content there. Otherwise, talk to you next time. Peace.